everyone, and welcome to the Warden Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Gaurav Sharma, CEO and co-founder of Capitalize, a venture-backed fintech company in New York focused on the retirement savings market. Capitalize aims to make the process of locating misplaced 401k accounts, selecting and opening individual retirement accounts, and consolidating retirement plans pain-free for its users. Prior to Capitalize, Gaurav was at hedge fund Greenlight Capital, investing in companies in the technology, media, financial services, and industrial sectors. Before that, he worked as an investor for Highbridge and on corporate M&A at UBS and Morgan Stanley. In today's episode, we discuss the size of the 401k rollover issue in the United States, Capitalize being listed as one of Time's best inventions of 2021, the fundraising process, and much more. Hope you enjoy the show. So, hi, Gaurav, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, super excited to have you on. How are you doing, and uh, where are you calling in from? Hey, very excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me on. Um, I've heard some amazing things about the podcast, and congrats on all of the recent success. Uh, I'm calling you right now from Southern California, so uh, Newport Beach, which is about an hour south of LA. Very nice. And uh, you mentioned before the recording... Uh, you're currently in the midst of moving, so appreciate you taking the time out of that uh, to join us, and good hey, luck of on course. that. Of course, yeah. no, I appreciate it. Um, so let's, let's get into it. So for listeners that might not know, uh, could you provide an overview of your career and uh, how you became involved in fintech? Sure, happy to. Um, so let me give you a, a little bit about me. Uh, as you can probably tell from the slightly odd accent, uh, I grew up outside of the US. I grew up in Australia, actually, and did... Most of my school there, uh, including university, I was always really interested in finance, actually. And so when I when I graduated, I, so I studied you know, finance and law at university. And so when I graduated, I started my career, actually, like many folks on Wall Street. So I moved over to New York City. I started in the investment banking world at UBS and Morgan Stanley, advising actually banks and fintech companies. And, you know, my, I like to joke that my, my timing was pretty spectacular in that I started my career in the summer of 2008 with a mandate, you know, to advise banks, U.S. banks and financial institutions. And then, you know, three months later, they all started promptly collapsing. So, I, uh, uh, it, it was, a, it was a, <laughs> a fast and furious introduction to the world of finance um, mm-hmm. at the time. I did that for about a year and a half and realized that I was actually much more interested in investing. And mm-hmm. so I transitioned into the hedge fund industry and I was really interested in investing in public companies. So I went into the public uh, side of investing and, and kind of invested in large uh, European and U.S. companies. I did that at a hedge fund called Highbridge and mm-hmm. then um, was recruited to work for a pretty large, well-known hedge fund called Greenlight Capital that had been founded by this guy, David Einhorn, in the mid-90s. And David had kind of become you know, one of a handful of celebrity, uh, you know, much to his chagrin in some respects, one of these celebrity uh, investors, but just a phenomenal, phenomenal person to work for. So I spent about six and a half years investing at Greenlight um, in large uh, companies here in the U.S. Realized at that point that I was actually very interested in building something, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but um, left after about 10 years in finance to then found what has now become uh, Capitalized, which is the company that I currently run. Yeah, amazing. Uh, which part of Australia did you grow up in, and uh, when did you make the shift? I grew up in Sydney, actually, which is the biggest biggest city in the country. Amazing quality of life, great place to live. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my parents immigrated there about a year and a half before I was born, mm-hmm. and so that's where I spent most of my early life before coming over here to the U.S. 
Yeah, amazing. Yeah. My, I'm trying to hang on to you know the remnants of the accent. Or my my wife says that she will absolutely leave me. So um, you know, trying. Oh well, it makes for a for a great audio recording. I'll, I'll at least give you that much. Good, good. <laughs> happy to happy to oblige. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk about that that shift that you mentioned from leaving banking and investing to founding your own company. I mean, that's a that's a pretty yeah. big shift. How did that come to be, and how did you kind of build conviction that you were making the right career move? It's interesting. So I, I you know, I grew up around business. My dad was an entrepreneur, and so I think uh, you know, I was exposed to to that that life path and all of its you know high highs and low lows and the ups and downs that come along with being an entrepreneur. So I think it it, it always been something that. I thought I was going to do in some form or fashion. Actually, I didn't know exactly what it would look like, but it was still obviously a big change. You know, when you invest, you know, particularly on the public side, most of what you're doing is is kind of like analytical, right? Like you're unpacking a company, you're trying to figure out what are the drivers of the business and whether it makes for a good investment. But it's ultimately a passive activity, right? Um, for the most part, with some exceptions. Building a company is anything but, right? It is in the weeds, operating, shaping outcomes and, and things like that. And so one of the big um, impetuses for me was having been an investor and seeing companies work and not work, I, I wanted to get amongst it and see if I could actually build something. So that desire to actually build and operate was, was pretty real for me. The other thing that was interesting is I kind of fell in love with the problem that we're solving. Mm-hmm. Right, um, which was always good advice given to me, which is like you know try to fall in love with a problem and not a solution. And mm-hmm. the problem that we are uh, working on is just such a big one, which is how do you help Americans save and invest for retirement effectively? And it has such big um, personal and economic implications that um, we kind of fell in love with the problem. And I think it was a combo of those things that um, r- really prompted me to think hard about about leaving to start the company. Yeah. When and how did you first see the 401k problem? Like, when did that become very real for you? You know, I had some exposure to it personally, but it was, this wasn't one of those things where it was like, hey, I went and I had to solve my own problem. It, I had interacted with it a little bit and I, I thought, you know, this is kind of like a strange system. Coming from Australia, I think, gave me a different perspective, right? Because, you know, I, I, so I came to the US and um, was like, okay, you're given this 401k or some variation of it. But then there's also IRAs and SEP IRAs and Roths, and there's just a whole fragmented system of how we save and invest for retirement. It's very different from the model that I was used to in Australia, which is a very simple – it's like a mandatory account. Everyone kind of has one. Um, everyone has to participate, and it's a very popular system. So certainly, like, as I came to the U.S., I was like, all right, I have to now save for retirement using these accounts that are kind of confusing to me. But it wasn't – it wasn't enough for me to be like, hey, this is just such an irritating problem. Uh, like, let's kind of go and fix it. Mm-hmm. I did know, though, that I did think that just broadly the retirement savings market was problematic, right? And like, if you looked at, if you looked at some of the dynamics, right? If you just look at outcomes, right? So how much money do folks end up with on average when they're 60 years old, right? So on the cusp of entering what we think is a traditional retirement age. And it's just not enough money. And so you kind of work backwards from that and you're like, well, like the outcomes are, are, are flawed. Like there's a real problem here. Let me try to dig into why that might be the case. And then what I do is I combine that with um, talking to a lot of my peers. So tell me about mm-hmm. your experiences saving for retirement. And, and it was honestly, it was a combo, it was a combination of, of some of those personal experiences, 
some mm-hmm. of the macro, honestly, and then a lot of uh, your user research, talking to peers of mine about their experience in saving for retirement, and, and that kind of led mm-hmm. me to the problem that we're now solving. And so let's talk now specifically about Capitalize um, and what, what products the company offers for its, for its users. Yep. So we've talked about, we've mentioned the 401k, right, which is the default way that most of us will save and invest for retirement, right? And it's an employer-sponsored account, meaning the way we get access to it is we go to a company, that company will hook us up with the 401k, and then we'll save some money in it, which is great, right? Lots of good things about that. The problem is that we change jobs every three or four years. Right. And frankly, if you look back at the past five years, even, even shorter intervals than that for a lot of people in our generation. So every time we change jobs, the account doesn't come with us. We have to figure out, okay, well, what do I do with the money that's inside of this 401k? And how do I go and interact with a brand new one at a, at a new employer? So if you and I sat down at a whiteboard and we're like, let's kind of figure out a model that works. It wouldn't look like this, right? It would probably look more like everyone has one individual account. It's portable, right? It can, it stays with them and, and an employer can pay into it, but none of this, like, this is kind of tied to the employer and I need to, like, change it every few years. But that is the system in which we live. There are a bunch of problems that flow from that. One of those is that when you look at what people actually do with the money when they change jobs, they unfortunately tend to do the wrong thing a lot of the time. So there's call it, you know, 15 to 20 million people who will change jobs each year with a 401k. A third of those people will just cash it out, like they'll withdraw it prematurely and they'll pay taxes and penalties on that money. And and, and so that there's about a hundred billion dollars that gets withdrawn each year from 401ks. That's kind of unfortunate. There's another three million people, three, four million people who leave their money behind for some extended period of time. And so we kind of calculate there's $1.35 trillion of assets that are now sitting inside of what we call forgotten 401ks. The reason that happens is that the process of moving the money, which is known as the rollover process, is just so antiquated, right? It is full of paperwork and faxes and phone calls and, and checks in the mail. Um, and so that is the problem that we are solving first. Um, we've built an online experience that helps consumers find their old 401k if they've misplaced it as I had and and many of my peers had. Um, Mm -hmm. we help them compare and select the right IRA, um, an -hmm. individual retirement account, um, which is where the money goes. And then instead of the user or the individual having to go and kind of deal with three or four legacy 401k institutions where their old employer accounts may be, we handle that for them uh, online and where necessary um, through uh, providing kind of like really top tier client service to make sure that the money gets consolidated and, and into one new account. And so that's the first uh, and current product that we have at the company. Yeah. So I'm ashamed to admit that I probably fit your uh, target customer base pretty hey, well. You're, you're not uh, alone, and, and I yeah. was there too. So you're in. Yeah. You know, you, you, a lot of people are in. That Good market. company. Yeah. 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 What What does your customer base look like right now? Um, and do you do you kind of envision that evolving as the company evolves? Yeah, uh, I think it will. So you know, customer base to date has been it's been folks who are in their early to mid thirties, and they have had you know called three to five jobs since graduating, right? And 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 they tend to skew a little bit more university graduates. Um, the only reason for that is that. 
historically uh, services industries where you haven't needed a college degree have had lower 401k penetration, meaning that they're less likely to offer. But that's changing, um, which is which is great. Um, so that's what it's looked like, uh, you know, so far. But we think it will absolutely expand, and it continues to expand, right? Like when we started, as you, as I'm sure a lot of the founders on your on your podcast, right? Our early adopters were kind of people like us, right? Um, um, who had this problem, um, who were willing to use an online solution, who kind of had um, they had expectations of of UX and of like good UX, and they were willing to try something, right? As we've gotten bigger and scaled, like it, it has strayed from that early adopter base to a much more mainstream base, and we think it just continues to get um, you know more and more mainstream. Mm-hmm. And I should say uh, congratulations on being named one of Time's uh, best inventions yeah. of 2021. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, that was a, that yeah. was a surprise to, to me. <laughs> and that was a, that, that was a fun one, but uh, yeah. not necessarily something we we set out expecting. Yeah. Why do you think the product resonated so well with the customers yeah. to, to get a, a recognition like that? Yeah, you know, it's because it's such a. I think it's such a commonly experienced problem. Like it's, it's. Mm-hmm. There's no. So many people have experienced this, right? Like if you think about, you know, 150 million people in the work in the private sector workforce or whatever, and we all change jobs. Like there's a very good chance that you have encountered something like this. So I think it was a pretty widely felt problem. And I think it it's just felt disconnected from other things that are happening in fintech, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about other verticals in finance, this was this was one of our early observations, right? Like if if you thought about other um, verticals in finance, they had gradually digitized. So you, you know, I think the, the smartphone, like the the transition of all, all you know, like our daily lives to the the new form factor, the smartphone kind of forced a lot of companies and allowed for a lot of startups to flourish that were mobile first and digital friendly. And, and that happened. Um, and you, 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 know, you look at banking and Chime has done such a phenomenal job, right? Like mm-hmm. you, look, you look at, you look at various insurance verticals and they've been digital. You look at kind of mortgage and you have folks like better and bland. And so a lot of verticals had digital and this one just hadn't, right? Or at least this part of the, the chain just hadn't. And so I think it was a combination. This is a widely felt pain point that hasn't really changed in a long time and so it's just it's one of the also just on a personal level it's it's one of those frustrating things that's on your to-do list right mm-hmm. that um you're probably a lot of folks are just like intimidated to even start because they just know it's going to be painful so <laughs> i think it, yeah. i think it was a combination of, of those things I, look i think you know um you know as my old boss used to say better better to be lucky than smart and one of the things i think that is also in our favor is um, the changes in the labor market, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you think about 2000, we launched, you know, we started a company uh, basically like 2020, kind of launched towards the end of that year. Um, but 2020 and 2021 were years where you had just massive amounts of job change. So mm-hmm. I think like we, we, we obviously helping people with something that's connected to job change. I think we also benefited mm-hmm. from, you know, that dynamic a lot. So be- better to yeah. be lucky than smart. Yeah, I was listening to another podcast. Um, I think it was yesterday morning. It was probably an NPR podcast. They were talking about the great resignation, but essentially yep. saying that it's a, it's a bit misnamed. It shouldn't really be. It's mm-hmm. not really about the resignation part. It's it's more that people are confident in getting other mm-hmm. opportunities right now. Yeah, uh, which I, I, yeah, that's right. yeah. imagine uh, helps helps capitalize quite quite a bit. 
Yeah, yeah, I think it, I think it does. Look, I, I think it also. Um, we think, uh, you know, we think. Look, it's, some of this is cyclical, right? Like, I don't, I don't think we are going to. You know, there's 47 million people who changed jobs last year. It's a huge number, right? And so, I think it's it's going to be tough for the labor market to sustain that level of job change, right? Um, so some of it is cyclical, right? Mm-hmm. But I think some of it is is behavioral, right? Exactly mm-hmm. as you say, there's like a confidence and there's a like an attitudinal shift. Like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, folks are going to change jobs in pursuit of um, what they want, which is mm-hmm. which is great and it's empowering. Um, mm-hmm. I think for us, it, it, the what it also calls into question, therefore, is like, should all these benefits be employer-linked? If we're going to change employees at such a rapid clip, does it make sense for both mm. the employer and the individual to mm. have benefits that are so so connected to the, to the employer? Um, mm. And so that 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 I think will be an interesting question to uh, monitor as we as we go through this. So you raised your Series A round uh, a little bit over a year ago, and from some very prominent uh, fintech investors. What was that process like? Was it yeah. more or less challenging than you had initially expected? Yeah, um, it was, it was about, <laughs> it was about what I expected. I think, look, I think fundraising is a, it's an important and necessary part of the, part of the game, right? Like, I th- and I think it, it's a good an account, it's a good, it's a good accountability force, forcing function as well, right? Because you, you mm-hmm. want to make sure that you are validating, hitting milestones and that, you know, you're convincing, um, return-oriented investors to back you. So I, I think fundraising is always, it's always a process, right? Like it's never snap your fingers. Maybe for some, for some lucky few, it is like, Hey, I'm going to snap, snap my fingers. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's, there's 12 term sheets at the door. I think we had a very good uh, process. We actually built a lot of good dialogue with the firm canopy that actually led the round. And so our, our process, you know, let me be honest, was probably a lot easier uh, because we had invested in some personal relationships and we just kind of kept mm-hmm. people apprised of what we were doing and the progress we were making. And so when they saw some of the early traction, when they saw some of the early traction, honestly, they kind of came to us. And so mm-hmm. we, we, you know, it's still never an easy process, but I think for sure easier than a lot of folks fundraising. Um, because we, again, we, 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 We've done a reasonable job at, at building that dialogue over yeah. time rather than just saying, all right, hey, we're looking to raise, like, let me go and pound the pavement, which is obviously a way to do it. But I think our way was to just kind of build the relationships over time. And if yeah. it turns into a fundraising opportunity, great. If it, if it doesn't, like, it's still worthwhile building relationships with well-respected investors. And so we can, you know, we continue to do that today. Mm-hmm. Do you anticipate another uh, round coming soon? Yeah, look, at some point we will, uh, we will absolutely raise more capital. I think right now we have no need to raise capital, uh, thankfully, you know, because of, because of the position that we were in, um, or that we are in. So no, no need to do it. I'm sure that we will at some point. And I think that, you know, the, the capital that we will raise, we kind of look at it and say, okay, like, how does this help us really get to the next level in terms of scale and uh, product yeah. development? And so there will absolutely be a time for it. Yeah. So, so what are some of your goals uh, in 2022 with regards to scale or product development? Uh, any, anything you can share with us? Yeah. Look. So, a, a couple of things. I mean, obviously, we want to um, massively. You know, first first thing we want to do is massively scale the mm-hmm. platform, right? Which mm-hmm. is how do we help more people 
find and roll over their old 401k accounts and, and consolidate them in one new place. And how do we make that process as good as we can? Because the better we can make that process, the less likely people are to either cash out their 401ks and, and leave their money behind. And so, you know, it was interesting when we started the business, the thing that, the thing that gave us some conviction around this opportunity, I think you, is the way you'd asked it, was this was a painful process, like rolling over, and yet 7 million people did it each year, and they were moving close to, uh, at the time, $500 billion into IRAs. We think that number will be a trillion, you know, in the next kind of two years. So we're like, look, there's a big constituency of people that really want to do this to the point where they'll move a trillion dollars through snail mail effectively like surely we can capture them by building a better mousetrap um and so you know obviously that's what we're doing but we thought there was a real opportunity to expand the market because in addition to those seven million who were doing it there were seven or eight who were not doing it because they were either confused or the process was just so terrible and they they just couldn't get there right so i think for us the, the more we can improve the um the rollover experience the better that we, um, the, the better shot we have of like expanding that market and helping people do it who otherwise, you know, would not. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two is we're continuing to bring on new partners. So we partner with great, um, IRA providers who are on the platform and we'll announce some other big ones, uh, you, you know, over the next, um, next couple of months. So that's important to us kind of continuing to expand the marketplace that we have, um, so that, that our users have good selection. Those are kind of big two priorities. And then, and then third, you know, as always, we think about, okay, well, look, this is one pain point that is associated with the current way of saving for retirement, right? Moving money when we change jobs. But there are others, right? And, and so there are others that are like kind of connected or they may, they may be different symptoms of the same problem, which is we have retirement accounts that are tied to our employers, right? And so there are, mm-hmm. the rollover process is one part of that, but there are other problems that stem from that. And so are there opportunities for us to extend what we're doing, right, and help solve some of those problems? And, and you know, nothing specific to, to share with you guys just yet, but, but um, yeah. at some point this year, very excited about, um, you know, potentially kind of sharing more on that. Yeah. Sounds like you have a very robust roadmap uh, that you uh, thought through there. And I'm sure those VCs that we talked about earlier are very happy to hear the 500 <laughs> billion to 1 trillion number. Uh, it's a huge, mentioned. huge, huge flow of funds. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's staggering, right? When you think about yeah. it. And then you think about the way that that money flows, right? It's, uh, it's, 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 it's a big number. Yeah, for sure. Zooming out a little bit, I would love to get some of your thoughts on the industry overall and uh, sectors within fintech sure. that you're particularly excited to, to, to see play out uh, over the next three to five years. Look, I think this one, obviously, the retirement tech is a, is a big one um, mm-hmm. where there is uh, just so much that needs to happen and, and frankly is happening. So I think mm-hmm. you know this, this part of fintech is is great and we're, we're excited to kind of keep seeing it. I think other parts on the asset management side, look, we've seen, we've seen alternatives become more mainstream, right? So the old kind of like stocks and bond model as the default for most folks is kind of being rethought a little bit. And there are, I think, some great companies that are trying to make alternative investments available 
for the mainstream investor. So it's not just reserved for, you know, each high net worth individuals, but like can actually be part of a portfolio um, that most people can get access to. I think that's a really interesting, um, a really interesting space. And I, it may be a bit also, I, I, I continue to think that the neobank, the digital bank penetration has just a lot more to run still, right? Even though yeah. it's been around, we've seen some great companies come out of it. I still think it's in, in early, early stages. So, yeah. um, you know, those are some of the things we're watching. Well, let's, let's stick on the uh, benefits being tied to employers part of the conversation. And uh, have you considered at all, like the implications this would have on the healthcare side, or is that uh, yeah. something you don't want to touch with a, with a hundred foot stick? <laughs> yeah. I, look, I think it, it's more the latter at this stage. Like we, mm-hmm. we haven't, I think healthcare is, uh, I think the healthcare has great companies doing it. I don't think we have at this stage the desire to go after that. We think there's mm-hmm. enough to do on the retirement savings and like just mm-hmm. the broader sa- long-term savings and investing side of things mm-hmm. um, for, for us. Um, so I, I think healthcare will leave to players who are kind of better and more thoughtful than us at that. But it, it, look, it is yeah. a similar you raise your point. it's a similar dynamic right where it changes um the thing about the, the the with the exception of hsas where you do have you know hsas are kind of an, an interesting thing that sit at the intersection of, of kind of health and retirement right because it's an account and there's money and it can be multi-purpose but the, the health care itself it's transitory in the sense that like i use it while i'm there and then I can go somewhere else and I can use their healthcare and I can get access. But there are definitely problems for sure from the variation. The interesting thing about the 401k is that there's like money that's permanent, right? Like it's saved mm-hmm. and it, and it, it's tied to you as the individual. And so that I think is the other, the other dynamic here. Yeah. Um, so I think we, we look at it more just like what are the other ways that our users, what are the other struggles that our users have when it comes to saving and investing for the long term and how can we help them with that? So, Gaurav, the last thing I wanted to do today was just ask you a few rapid-fire questions to help the yeah, audience. Uh, let's do it. All right. Yeah. Uh, what is a fun fact about you that most people don't know? Fun fact about me that most people don't know. Big NBA fan, um, despite being an Aussie. You know, Which, like yeah, basketball wasn't isn't that big in Australia, but it's actually my favorite sport. Which team? For many years, I was a disgruntled New York Knicks fan. So if I, I like, I still, I still have some loyalty to the Knicks, despite despite some some things there. But I'm also a big uh, Milwaukee Bucks fan. Mm-hmm. I love I love Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's a phenomenal player. So I'd say the Knicks and the Bucks. I'm a pretty big Celtics fan, so this episode I, might might never air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is the next country you want to travel to? Next country I want to travel to. I have so many on the list. I, I mean, if I had to pick one right now, I would say some, some, my, my wife and I actually, we had a honeymoon plan that got canceled because of COVID. And, and part of that honeymoon was to go and spend some time in Greece, both kind of like the mainland and then and, and like kind of do like some, some, some ancient Greek history stuff on the mainland and then hit, hit some of the, the Greek islands. So I think that, that uh, you know, the honeymoon that never was, that would be the trip that I'd take. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, yeah. What was your favorite holiday that you have been on? Uh, there's a lot. There's so many. That's a hard one pick. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's in the middle of my investing career, I took six months off as a sabbatical 
um, to travel the world. And, and, you know, my, my boss at the time was gracious enough to let me do that. And so that overall trip was, was amazing. I think the parts of it that are probably most memorable were, um, traveling around in sub-Saharan Africa. So, um, you know, South Africa, Kenya, Ethiopia, um, Tanzania, probably the most memorable. It's de- and then I, I love, I, I did a trip around Spain a few years before that, and I absolutely love Spain. So those, mm-hmm. those are the two. Nice. What advice would you give an employee on the first day? Mm. Um, be intellectually honest. For us, intellectual honesty is a big thing. And, and what we mean by that is you don't need to have all the right answers, and you probably won't. Nobody ever does. Ask good questions and keep an open mind. Uh, you know, be, be data driven, look at the facts, be open to changing your mind based on those facts. So that's what we mean by intellectual honesty. I think that's a, that's a, that's a big one that stuck with me as an investor. And I think kind of continues to be true for us as a mm-hmm. company today. I didn't ask this earlier and I should have, but is Capitalize hiring right now? We are. Yeah, we are hiring. We're hiring, um, in, uh, on the product side and in, in the customer service and operations side. Those are the two key functions we're building out right now. Uh, last question for the day, and you can take a little longer on this if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does success look like for you and for Capitalize? So, look, we really were, and we're we really were and are animo- animated by helping users, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what gets us up in the morning. And so, I think success for us is feeling like we are helping a huge number of users get their retirement savings on track. Right, so that they can feel like they're 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 solid. Uh, we can really um, shift the outcomes for them, and I think it's it's for us. It's like it's doing that for more people and in more ways, so that they view Capitalize as an ally, right? Like a company that's really helped them uh, save and invest for retirement. That could 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 mean the difference between them, you know, living a very comfortable life in retirement and, and not right. Because if you make, mm-hmm. if you, if you don't get some things right um, with these decisions and it can have pretty drastic consequences. So I think for us, success is being able to help more and more users in more ways with this thorny kind of problem of how do I save and invest enough money for, for retirement. Um, mm-hmm. That's what it is for the company. For, for me, it's very closely tied to that, right? It's mm-hmm. being able to, um, come into work every day, feel good about what we're doing. You know, we, we describe ourselves as a, as a mission-driven company, and our thesis has been there's, there doesn't have to be a trade-off between profits and purpose. And and one of the one of the things that I always tell people, actually, also on the first day, is like beware of false trade-offs. Right? Mm-hmm. If someone comes to you and says, "Hey, um, we can do A or B," and you don't like A or B. My response is always, well, okay, well, like, what about the C, D, E, and F? Like, what, don't, don't just kind of tolerate the trade off that is presented to you. And so we think, you know, profits and purpose, um, again, it sounds cheesy and trite, right? But it's, it's, it, obviously the proof is in the pudding and how you do this. But, um, I think what, what would make me feel great is knowing that, um, we've built a company that, uh, is a good business, right? It has attractive economics as a business and, and a whole bunch of things in and around that. Um, uh, so it's a great business and that, you know, we can feel good about the, the things that we're doing for our users, right? That we're mm-hmm. actually kind of helping them. That, that, that I think to me, um, would be a huge win. I'm very envious of entrepreneurs and folks who get to do that, right? Cause mm-hmm. they, 
um, they get the best of both those worlds. So that, that, that would be success for me and for us. Yeah. Well, we love cheesy on the show. So appreciate that. Oh, no, it's um, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got, I got, but, I got yeah. plenty of cheese for you. Yeah. Um, but Gorva, I'm, I'm glad to hear somebody's working on this problem. Uh, it's certainly felt by a lot of people and I'm, and I'm glad that it's you. It seems like you're doing a great job, uh, helping to address it. Uh, I think that's probably a pretty good place for us to wrap up the show today, but thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for the great questions. Really appreciate the time and, and keep up the awesome work. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Warden Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.